Well, welcome, Grace Chapel. Glad you guys are here. I'm glad to be here. It's been a fun morning. We had a pageant earlier this morning. We had a bunch of little angels running around with lighted up wings. Whoever made lighted wings? I don't know. It was great. We had a great time. Um, If you were here last week, we had a prayer service at Grace Chapel. Last Sunday was dedicated to prayer, and we had an amazing time. And if you weren't here, well, if you were here, I hope you were blessed by it. I was tremendously blessed by it. And I wanted to give kind of a shout out that we're going to be doing these kinds of services every so often. So if you weren't here, you're going, what is he talking about, a prayer service? I don't know what that is. Stay tuned. We're going to have them so every so often. Um, it's a wonderful time. Um, I was blessed by it. I know a lot of other people were as well. So I'm um, looking forward to the next one. So um, We're going to move right along. We have just started. This Sunday is the first week of our Christmas series, which will end with Christmas Eve, which I'm really exciting about. And also, I'm a little blown away that we're already in the Christmas season. I feel like just yesterday I was mowing my lawn, So, um, but with this weather, that could have been yesterday, I guess. Um, So... It's, it's going to be a great series. It's the miracle of Christmas is what we're going to be talking about. And we're going to be talking about the method of the miracle this Sunday, uh, this morning. So I'm excited about that. Um, and my hope and my prayer is that this Christmas season that you'll find peace. That's my hope. That's my prayer. Um, that, that you'll find peace today. That you'll find peace this week. And you'll find peace during the holidays. And I know that's a big ask for a lot of you because the holidays represent some serious pain or, or, or trials or difficulties. So that's my prayer. Whatever we do on a Sunday morning, especially in the message, my hope is that it forces you to prayer. It forces you to go home, to think deeply about some things that, that you had heard, maybe some questions that you have, um, and maybe even focus on some blind spots that you have in your faith. That's the hope. So um, we're going to do that. With that, I would like to pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to sit in this nice, warm building um, and think about you. God, thank you for the holidays. Thank you for Christmas, and thank you for your son. God, I ask that as we uh, dig into your word this morning, that you would reveal to us what you'd have us understand, and that we would lean a little bit more on you, that we would love you a little bit more, that we would trust you a little bit more, and that we would leave this morning feeling encouraged and feeling um, excited about your son. In your name, amen. You know, one of the recurring themes that I hear a lot Uh, in the business that I'm in, in in ministry and being a pastor, is people seem to struggle with their spiritual meaning. This is a very common topic. People come to me and they go, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with really figuring out what my spiritual meaning is. What's my purpose? And that's a really good question. And so that's the question that I want to ask you this morning. What is your purpose? Why are you here? Why are you here at Grace Chapel? But why are you here in life? Why does your life look the way it does? Why do you have the relationships you have, the job that you have, the family you have? Why does your life look the way it does, whether that's good or whether that's bad? Why is it the way that it is? And these types of questions are really difficult to answer. And a lot of people spend their whole life asking these questions. What's my purpose? What drives me? Why am I the way that I am? So that's the question I put to you this morning. Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Why are you here in life? And I think that today's message, the scripture that we're going to look at in a little bit, will start us down the path of answering some of those questions. Some of those questions are lifelong questions. We can't answer them in a, in a few hours on a Sunday morning. But it'll start us on the journey of discovering what our purpose, what our meaning is. 
I see people every day that are going through life aimlessly. They're going through life and they view it as meaningless. They have no purpose. They have no drive. They seem to be drifting and they struggle. And they're always asking, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? And I also know people on the other side of the spectrum that have adopted a purpose. And it's just kind of an assumed purpose. Like, this is my purpose. This is what I do. I'm not even going to ask questions if it's really my purpose. I'm just going to push forward and, and lean into it. And so you have two groups of people, one that kind of drift and one that are so driven, they haven't really even asked the question, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? The, the thing is, is if we don't pay close attention to what drives us, what gives us direction, we will end up either drifting or working ourselves to the, you know, working ourselves to death for the wrong thing. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in either one of those camps. And, and unfortunately, in my somewhat young life, I have had the, the, the non-pleasure of drifting. I've had the pleasure, the, the non-pleasure of saying, I don't know what my purpose is. And to be, to be honest with you, it's hard to get up in the morning. If you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, it's hard to motivate yourself to do anything. I've also had the displeasure of being so focused that I work myself to death and I realize it's on the wrong thing. I don't have time for either one of those things. And I don't think you do either. And that's why I think this is an important topic to launch us into the holiday season. What's really at stake here is our purpose and our drive. And we have to get to the bottom of what drives us, what gives us our motivation, what gives us purpose in life. As my friend says, ain't nobody got time to mess around. Nobody's got time to work for something that's not our purpose or to drift aimlessly as if we don't have one. So I want to read to you a passage of Luke chapter 4, 14 through 21. And this is Jesus early on in his ministry. He's developing a little bit of a reputation for the things that he does and says, and he's getting some attention. So we're going to pick it up in verse 14 of chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel. Jesus returned to Galilee, to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, not where he was born, but where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, you can imagine him taking his time. Unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, 
this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let's just take a second and think about what this means to these people. They have heard this passage over and over and over. Probably 90 plus percent of them in the synagogue could have recited it. Over and over they hear the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law read this passage. And here you have this rogue teacher shows up very calmly, finds a very specific place in the scroll and reads it and says, you hearing this? It's fulfilled. This prophecy, you can put a stamp done on it because it has just come true. I think most of the people in the synagogue, their brains were moving too fast for them to even respond. Wait, is he, is he saying what we think he's saying? He literally just read a, a prophecy from Isaiah hundreds and hundreds of years ago that's supposed to come true, and he says, it came true today. Today it came true. That is powerful. Every Christmas, my mind is blown a few times by the amazing goodness and generosity that the Father has bestowed on us by sending his Son to die in our stead so that we might have real life. The fact that Jesus came, that he walked among us, that he died on the cross, that he rose again, blows my mind. And in fact, I get so excited about Christmas just so because I'm imagining what it feels like to have my mind blown over and over again about how good God is in this way. I don't care if it's a pageant put on by children or if it's some amazing service that I get to be a part of. That's amazing that God did that. Every Christmas, every Christmas it happens. This Christmas season, I am blown away by how God did it. God's method for salvation. What God did in order to accomplish this. And at the surface, if you just, if you just skim... If you don't really pay too close attention, there's a lot of really weird details in, in, the, in the Christmas story. It seems weird. There's, there's, a, there's a baby that's supposed to be like a baby king, right? There, there's a manger. There's a stable. There's poor parents. There's a virgin birth. There's, there's a census being taken. There's dreams. There's shepherds. There's angels. And the list just goes on and on and on. And as an adult, if you just quickly look at it, you could go, well, that's, that's a weird way to show up and save the world. Why would you do it that way? And I've actually had friend, uh, conversations with friends who don't believe, who said, listen, it's so bizarre, I could come up with a better way to tell that story, right? And at the surface, it is bizarre. It's, it's strange. Not to mention, if you dig a little deeper, for example... Go do a little research on the five women that are in Matthew's genealogy. Okay, that's like, that's like a whole other sermon series. <laughs> but just go Google those five women and see, see what's going on in this gospel story and why God tells it the way he tells it. This Christmas season, I'm blown away by the method that God uses. 
his method of sharing the good news through his son. You see, when Jesus shows up on the scene here in Luke, he wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just another teacher that was relaying a message to the people. See, Jesus could stand up and he could say, this this prophecy is fulfilled because I am the walking, breathing message. I am the message. I don't just have a message. I am the message. I am the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that you people have been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Why would Jesus do, or why would God do it that way? Jesus was what everyone was waiting for. He was why, this is crazy, Jesus coming the way he came was why the law was put together the way it was. He was what the prophets died for. Hundreds of prophets gave their lives for the message of the Messiah. He was the perfect fulfillment in the perfect time, the perfect way to be the savior of the world. interesting things that are going on in the culture, in the society, the time period that Jesus shows up and says, yes, I am the one the prophet Isaiah was talking about. You hearing this has fulfilled this prophecy. You see, Roman rule had brought this really strange, bizarre peace. And, and the reason it was bizarre, it was kind of like the eye of a storm. Have you been in the eye of a storm? You're like crazy storm, and then all of a sudden it's quiet, and you're like, I, I feel like it shouldn't be quiet. Why is it so quiet? That was the peace that the, the, the Israelites were currently experiencing. They were under Roman rule. They didn't really like it, but not too many people were being killed all the time, so it felt kind of like peace. This is the known world. Rome had an iron grip on the known world, and it was this strange, bizarre peace. There's something else that's going on in this time period, and it sheds a little light on God's method to bring Jesus when he brought him. Roman rule, with Roman rule brought Roman roads, which travel now was less dangerous than it had ever been. And then also Roman conquests had left the known world with common language. There's basically three languages, a lot of languages everybody spoke, but the three that everybody spoke, or at least the two were Aramaic and Greek. And then in Jesus' area, Hebrew was at least one that you read and, and spoke at, in the synagogue. They had common language. So you had common peace, you have common roads, and you have common language. But it gets even better. A lot of theologians and historians have talked about how at this time in civilization, there was a lot of spiritual unrest. You see, people were sick and tired of the religions of their grandfathers and great-grandfathers. They were getting tired of the, the structure of religion. And this wasn't just true in, 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 in Israel. This was true in the known world. People were getting frustrated and fed up with constantly sacrificing our children for some imaginary gods that are supposed to bless us with our crops, and it doesn't seem to work. People are getting frustrated, and they're becoming unhappy with the religious structures of the day. At the same time, you have spiritual thirst growing. People long to put their faith in something. And it's not this thing that we've been doing for hundreds of years. It's something different. This is all that's going on when Jesus shows up. This is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, why Rome would adopt spiritual religions. 
They would conquer a nation and go, how do you guys do it? Oh, that's cool. Let's take that and, and give it to the people. Maybe that'll make them happy. Over and over and over. And all of a sudden, Rome had this just huge cesspool of religious practices that never really made any sense to anybody. Hundreds of gods, hundreds of rules, and all these theories, and it's just a mess. And people are going, is this it? Is this, is this really what we're supposed to put our trust in? Overall, society was, was unsatisfied. You have peace, you have roads, you have common language, you have spiritual desire, but religious unrest. And all of a sudden, one night, the baby king shows up. And we, and we gloss over the story and go, oh, it's just random. You know, just kind of random bunch of stuff kind of happened. But when you look at it from that perspective, everything up until this point was working towards Jesus coming when he came. You see, God's method is mind-blowing. Why he did what he did when he did it. This momentary little lapse in time, and all it took was a spark of truth and of, of true faith and of, of, of true religion, and it set the world on fire. So much so that Rome couldn't even control it. There was so much spiritual unrest. 70 AD, Rome said, you know what? That's it. We're done with Israel and all your crazy, weird, passion, religious stuff. And they squashed them. I would not recommend reading the accounts of what happened when the Roman armies marched on Jerusalem. It was bloodbath. And it was brutal. And that happened... 64, 65 years after Jesus was born. Little pocket of peace. Now I want to take just a minute, and I'm going to go really fast, so you, you're going to write notes. You've got to write them quick. I'm going to talk about a couple prophecies that people in the past were prophesied, were prophesying that Jesus would do. Okay, listen to this, okay? This is the Messiah would be preached by a messenger, okay? He would, or I'm sorry, preceded by a messenger. Boy, I misspelled that word, okay. Preceded by a messenger. Isaiah 43, listen. Isaiah says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. John the Baptist shows up with so much passion, he, he could barely get it out of himself, right? And he starts preaching in the desert, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people show up just to listen to this guy say, repent and be baptized. That's it. He was the messenger. And he said, I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of the guy coming after me. Isaiah 43. There's a, there's a prophecy that Jesus would perform miracles. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. You see, I have to go fast. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then all the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And when John the Baptist is ready to be killed, he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, give me a sign. Let me know I haven't wasted it. And Jesus says, the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf are unstopped and the lame will leap like deer. 
and John the Baptist died in peace. Isn't that beautiful? There's more. Isaiah 61, the foreshadowing of Jesus' ministry. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. You think I'm done. The list keeps going. God promised another prophet like Moses when Moses was alive. This is a prophecy from Deuteronomy 18. That's about as far back as you can get. I won't read it all. Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18, the people cry out and say, God's voice is too strong. We, we need a bridge. We need, we need a way to relate to him. How, how do we relate to a God who's so righteous? And God says, you know, you're right. I'm going to send you somebody like Moses one day. And he's going to be the Messiah. Another prophecy, the Messiah, you guys know this one, would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That's Zechariah 9.9. Isaiah 9.6-7, a son called God. Another prophecy. And then here's the hard prophecies. Isaiah 53, the Messiah would be rejected. That he would be rejected by the people that were supposed to love him. And then Daniel predicted even when the Messiah would be rejected. You see, all these things of all time are coming together, weaving an intricate web, and boom, right at the right minute, Jesus is born. How does this relate to us? What does this mean for us today? Isn't that great? It's a wonderful story, right? Like, it's a story we tell our kids on Christmas, but, but how does it relate to the day-to-day, the nine-to-five, the job, the boss, the family, the constant needs? You see, the interesting thing is the same God that fulfilled the law and the prophecies through Jesus in the perfect time, in the perfect way, with the perfect amount of intricacy, that same God is in control of your life. You see, see, he's not just about big storytelling. He's about the intimate details of who you are and why you are the way that you are. Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, this ties this amazing story of creation to what we do every day with our lives. 1 Peter 2.9, but you're a chosen people. You see, God picked you. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. All that God has done, all the amazingness of the story of creation and of Jesus coming as a baby, same God has plans for you. In your life. If he can drive a single message of salvation over thousands of years of prophecy, culminated in the coming of Jesus Christ, he can give your life meaning. And he already has. Christmas isn't just about peace and hope. It's about the realization that God isn't wasting your life, but he's in fact giving it meaning. You can derive hope from even that. 
And this is the point this morning. This is the thing that I want you to remember. The miracle of Christmas is about your life, is that your life was methodically fashioned to bring hope to a hopeless world. And you might say, well, Josh, come on. You don't know about my life. It's a train wreck. In fact, my, my family's life is a train wreck. My parents' life's a train wreck. My, my parents' parents' life was a train wreck. How could you say my life has meaning? I can say it because God says it. And God says he's a good God. God orchestrated this entire story of life to point to one singularity, his son, who is the incarnate message of his love for the world. And we get to participate in that message with your own unique, personally customized purpose. And that's the way God works. Take a look at Mary and Joseph. Two little nobodies who had no money, no resource, no ability, couldn't even find a place for his fiancée to give birth. That's who God chooses. That's why we have purpose. And maybe you're sitting here listening this morning and you can't see the method of how God has fashioned your life. You can't see it. Maybe you've, you've, been, you've been through so much pain and grief that you can't fathom what hope even looks like, let alone feels like. Maybe it seems like such a waste, but the reality is, is that God loves you so much that he's given you a purpose, and with that purpose comes value. And if you let him use everything that makes you you, if you let him use it, he will tell his a wonderful and amazing story through it. It is imperative that you and I understand this. It is so important that you get it. If we miss it, and we all know at times life can throw us things, we can miss our purpose. We can get distracted from our purpose. But if we miss it, will start to tailspin. And here's the risk, okay? Aimlessly drifting purposefully without value, that's what awaits us if we don't find our purpose. If we don't figure this out. And you might say, no, wait a minute. You know, I'm a Christian, and I come to church every Sunday, and I try to do what the preacher says, and, and everything is going to be fine. But I can't tell you your purpose. Only one person can tell you that. We might tell ourselves, here's what we do. We tell ourselves, you know, it's, it's about bringing hope to the hopeless. Yes, loving those around us. Oh, isn't that a great picture? Inspiring hope in our community. Yeah, let's do that. And everybody gets so excited. We get all fired up. And we're like, how do we do that again? How do we do those amazingly wonderful things? You kind of look around and everybody kind of shrugs their shoulders. I don't know. We just kind of have to do it, kind of. There's a way, there's a specific way that you were built for, that before time God fashioned you to do this. So how do we find our purpose? How do you find it? And I haven't been along uh, too long. I haven't been alive too many years. There's some of you that have been alive a lot longer than me, but this is what I've learned in my short life. There is only one way to know your purpose, 
and to know what it looks like. There's only one way. You can consult your godly friends and they can give you good feedback. You can talk to your wild and crazy friends and they'll give you fun feedback, right? You can, you can read books. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch sermons online. You can listen to me or, or other pastors talk about it till we're blue in the face. You can meditate on your purpose. Oh, yeah, really meditate on it. You can experiment with your potential purpose. You can assess the success or failure of your assumed purpose. But there's only one way for you to act actually find your purpose. Only one way. And it's a simple little word called prayer. That's it. Prayer. Prayer is the only answer in finding out what it really looks like. Prayer is the only way you can find confidence in what will carry you through when life throws you that curveball that you didn't see coming. It's a simple act of talking with God that will lead us to our purpose and our value. Think about it this way. The more you spend time with your friend, the more you know about what they think. <laughs> Pretty simple. The more you spend time with your spouse, the more you understand how they think, in theory, right? I think the more I spend time with Jen, the more she understands me, but I'm still a little in the dark. Don't tell her I said that. The more you spend time with your friend, the more you think like they think. The more you see like they see. The more time you spend in prayer about your purpose, the better you'll understand what God thinks about you and how you should live. This is why prayer is so important to Grace Chapel. This is why we do weird things like have a whole service dedicated to prayer. And every now and then, I'll shoot up a, a, a flare to, to Willie and say, let's have a prayer night. She goes, okay, we'll round the troops up. Let's, let's just pray. I just have a sense that we need to pray. This is why Grace Chapel does this sort of thing. Because prayer is the only way we will be able to find our purpose as a church. We have this great mission, uh, vision statement. We have this great set of values and always oh, in that great. But we will not get there if we don't dedicate ourselves to prayer. It's that simple. And here's the thing about purpose. If you don't know what yours is, you will eventually just assume you don't have one. You can't stay in that, hey, I wonder what my purpose is for very long. Because you're going to end up with, well, I guess I'll write it myself. <laughs> People without purpose, we all know, they get into trouble. <laughs> they get into trouble. This was my entire childhood. <laughs> my entire childhood. My dad, if he didn't work me to exhaustion, I would entertain myself. And I was good at it. And you laugh, but, but one time, I'm not kidding you, one time I feigned sickness. The kind of sickness that you have to stay in the bathroom for, that's what, this, was, this was my imaginary, my, my creative mind here, okay? I feigned sickness. As soon as the coast was clear, I climbed out the bathroom window, shimmied down the drain pipe, went to the barn with a pair of matches that I stowed to try to light the hay barn on fire just to see what it was like. I wanted to see what it looked like when it burned. This is what happens when you don't have a purpose. You burn the hay barn down. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that analogy didn't work as well as I wanted. If you do not find your purpose, you will be rudderless. You'll either make it up or you slip deeper and deeper into no purposeness. Now, I don't know about you, but I want God, 
the one whose methods are perfect to show me my purpose. And I am dedicated to praying until God gives us our purpose here at Grace Chapel. The miracle of Christmas is that your life was methodically fashioned to bring hope to a hopeless world. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes it just feels like I'm chasing my tail. Sometimes I have to ask the question over and over and over, why am I here? And, and, and Lord, sometimes you tell me just to wait. <laughs> but God, I ask that not only would you give Grace Chapel more clarity on what we're doing here and what this next chapter looks like, I ask that you'd give us individually more clarity on why we're here. Why do we have the lives that we have? Why have you directed our life the way that has gone? With all the pain, all the grief, all the mistakes, and all the success, and all the joy, and all the happiness, why does it look the way it looks, Lord? Show us our purpose, God. And God, I admit to you that I'm even scared asking you that. Because sometimes what you tell us is hard to believe. Lord, in this season, as we remember your son coming as a baby, lying in a manger, helpless, the baby king that saved the world. Jesus, I ask that you would give us clarity on the good works that you've laid out for us to do. And Lord, I ask that we would celebrate those works and give you glory and honor for the purpose and the clarity you've given for our lives. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that is sitting here right now going, I just can't see it. I just can't see the purpose. God, I know you love them. And I know you're ready to show them why their life has so much meaning and value. And God, I ask that you would move mightily. If it would be a dream or experience or a passage they read or whatever it is, Lord, show them your love. Show them your purpose for them. And God, I ask that they would turn and glorify you for it. Show us where we're going, Lord, because we're here to serve you. In your name.